Desert in the great American Southwest. Welcome to Dead Air, covering 25 time zones like a blanket. This is Dead Air. Yeah. <laughs> that's right, that's what it is. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Dead Air. Dead Air. Dead air has two rules, no bad language, and only one call per show. But I want to serve up a very quick warning, and I really mean warning. Tonight is not a joke. Uh, Some of the material in this broadcast may be very disturbing to some people, so be warned. This is uh, not happy night. Maybe some of it will be, who knows. Uh, But some of this material is scary stuff indeed. And uh, the only headline that I'm going to even put in here uh, actually qualifies as Halloween scary to me. The United States has has decided to send combat troops, special forces actually, 50 of them, to Syria. Now, I'm a Vietnam vet. I know about mission creep. Trust me, I know about mission creep. Lots of the rest of you vets out there know about mission creep, too. So, this is the beginning of the war with ISIS. And that's Halloween scary, in my opinion, by by any measure you can talk about. We're going to do some things you're probably not ready for tonight. There will be some stories from all of you, some that have been phoned in, some that will no doubt leak in through uh, through Skype and other means. And, of course, our national number, we'll, we'll get to all that. I've got a couple of stories I want to read you first. This comes from a young lady. When I was 18... And I moved in my first place. My friends decided to show me the local cemetery at night after a hard day of hauling boxes. It was a large cemetery with old graves on one side decorated with statues on the other side. A lawn with headstones of veterans in the area laid flat in the grass. The six of us walked down a path that separated these two sections of the cemetery, admiring the statues and pillars to our right. We arrived at a low stone wall around a family plot and decided to get a closer look, wondering aloud if it was really a good idea to visit a cemetery in such a creepy, in fact, a creepy old cemetery at night. As one of my friends began reading the name and the dates on the headstones, another friend said, I think there's someone over there. So we all turned to look, thinking we were about to be ushered out for trespassing. Well, I looked where my friend was pointing, and beyond the graves of the hundreds of veterans who were buried there, we saw a dim light about a hundred yards away. In hushed silence, we watched as it moved closer. Soon, 
we realized this was not the authorities with a dim flashlight. As it moved diagonally across the veteran graves, we could see it was a gray, human-shaped figure. We began asking each other, do you see that? About 50 yards out now, I could see a solid gray figure of a monk, hood drawn over his head, rope tied around his waist, hands folded into his sleeves as he floated on his course toward us. The closer this figure came to us, the more details it could be made out in the dark. As the monk appeared to give off a light of his own, I could see the shadow of a face under the hood, his knees bending under his robe with each step he took across the grass. Even the ends of the rope around his waist were swaying as he walked. I stared in disbelief, wondering what my eyes were truly seeing. I asked my friends to each point to it to track its movement, to prove we were all seeing it. They did, but they were growing more frightened by the moment. The monk, now about twenty feet away only, full-bodied, seven-foot-tall apparition, was going to cross in front of where we stood, as he did not appear to be changing the direction he was going. My friends all ran back to the car, screaming for me to join them. I stood, amazed, breath-held, blood-cold and watched him slowly walk past me. He must have been five feet away, close enough to just walk up and touch. The details of his appearance I will never forget. He looked exactly like a Franciscan monk, but light gray and dimly glowing. My friends screaming for me in the distance, I watched him disappear into the rear wall of the brick caretaker house. This happened at the Greenlee Road Cemetery in Sonora, California, in the summer of 1994. That's from Heather. (laughs) And then I I got this one, uh, and you should prepare yourself for this. When I was a young girl, and I was wild and crazy, up to things I never should have been, With little driving experience, not much sense, a little alcohol, a few of my friends set off off for a joyride with me behind the wheel. Well, as the morning came, I dropped them off, and I was headed toward home, planning on dropping off the car somewhere close to it. I somehow ended up on a very busy street during a morning rush hour. My adrenaline, the alcohol, and a car I could barely drive, I hit an old woman who came out in front of a bus. So I stopped the car. The world spun as I saw her on the ground. I rushed over, and crying, I held her. I had no idea what to do. I kept telling her to breathe, and that I was sorry. I could see people calling for help. I draped my jacket around her, and she died right before me, looking into my eyes. To this day... I've never forgiven myself for this. It's why I must write this to you. I cannot speak because I might break down. It was the most traumatic event of my life. I was charged, sentenced, and did my time. Many years later, I found myself living alone with a large black dog in an old house. I vowed I'd never do anything, any of those irresponsible things I had done, so I kept myself. 
I had often felt very alone, very afraid of the outside world. Would sit and work on music or listen to you, meaning me on the radio. I would often have breakdowns of sadness and grief in my heart for what I had done, and I often felt like I didn't deserve to be living. One night I was feeling as such. I was sitting on the edge of the bed going through a box of my court papers, the newspaper article of the accident, and I broke down and crying so badly I almost couldn't breathe. I just thought it's time to end my life. But then I felt something heavy touch me on the shoulder, something leaning up behind me, holding me, a flash of this old woman's face. That woman I accidentally killed, but not in the way I had seen her on the street on that horrible day, but a gentle sweet lady holding me. And I was not scared at all. She comforted me. There were no words. I never turned around to see her, but I felt her, and I knew her for that moment. It seemed to last a long time. I felt like I had cried for years and years of sorrow, finally out of me that night. But I stopped feeling alone. For the first time in about ten, ten years, this experience has forever changed me and the way I see the world. People and learning to forgive myself, I strongly believe that having such a traumatic moment like this sort of intertwined our spirits for some reason, and I have no idea what that reason is. But not a day goes by that I don't think of her or those moments. That's a couple to uh, just sort of start us off. I... uh I've got a couple of people on the phone. It's going to be a difficult night because I'm going to be like a one-armed paper hanger. We've got a very great deal to do. Coming up in a moment, Barbara Macbeth. has She's actually independently researched and studied spirit and ghost phenomena for over 50 years. She has conducted lectures, presentations, conducted ghost tours at locations where the ghost phenomena has been experienced by many different people over many years. She's also been a co-spokesman on behalf of the Ghost Investigators Society. You know them well in a USU documentary on television and radio. Barbara will be with us alone tonight. You will hear things you have never heard before. Only perhaps two or three of the ones we have have ever been aired. Barbara's leery of anybody who claims to be a so-called expert in any aspect on the subject of ghosts and hauntings. She believes there are too many unknowns about it. Anyone can claim a title. She believes that a ghost is the essence or conscious soul of a person who has lived on this earth. A ghost had a physical body, but the consciousness continues after death. She believes that whatever kind of personality we have, while we are physically alive, continues, and is still retained after physical death, or at least fragments of it. The EVPs that have been recorded have every range of emotion and personality, which clearly comes through those recorded strange-sounding voices. In addition to the fact that Barbara is with us tonight, I would like to point out that if you go to artbell.com, click on Barbara's photograph, Several photographs gathered by uh, the GIS are up there for you to peruse. 
That said, let's take a very quick break. And we'll come back. But once again, ladies and gentlemen, I'm telling you, this will be disturbing material. Consider this your final warning. I'm Art Bell, and this is Dead Air. And any sun. Will you partake of that last offered cup or disappear into the potter's ground when the man comes around? Welcome to this on the wild side of midnight. From the kingdom of knives, this is Midnight in the Desert with Art Bell. Please call the show at 1-952-225-5278. That's 1-952-CALL-ART. All right. Here's the deal. If you've got a really scary ghost story, call me. If you don't have a good scary ghost story, don't call me. If you've got a really good scary ghost story and it's short, call me. If it, if it goes on forever, don't call me. We, we sort of need to get it on and get it off because we've got a lot to do tonight. Same goes for Skype, of course. Uh, so here we go. National number is 952-225-5278. That's 952-225-5278. Might as well upset somebody else's night, right? Um, with a scary story. And, and then on Skype, you are welcome to join us, of course, as usual, in North America at MITD51. Download Skype. It's so easy. And then uh, go to the Add a Contact, and we are that ad. Put in MITD, as in Midnight in the Desert. 51, and then we'll be in your contact list, and you can call us. All of that said, let us first say good evening to Barbara. Good from, evening, Art. From the GIS. All right, I want to say something about the GIS. The recordings that you're going to hear tonight are of the dead, and it's very scary to hear, so, um, so be warned. Now, these are gathered by a nonprofit group, what was a non-profit group, the GIS. I don't know what its current status is, but I, I know it's still non-profit, if not almost non-existent. Um, however, Barbara remains um, a key member of it, and I, probably one of, I guess, wouldn't you be one of the original charter people, Barbara? Yes. Yes, me and Roger um, and Brendan and Jenny, and we adopted Barry along the way probably into it about three, two, three years. Okay. Um, you know, no matter what we ever do, we're not going to get a good phone connection. It's not bad, Barb, but uh, <laughs> what, here's what I'll ask. Stay right up on the phone, okay? You got it. Right into the phone. That'll really help okay. us. All okay. right. So these are recorded at various locations uh, ranging from what to what, Barb? Well, we have done cemeteries, prisons, homes, businesses. Um, everything. Everything. Okay. 
Um, what I want to do is try one very quickly and see if we're in business and it's everything's working as it should. So tell me quickly about number one. This uh, first one was uh, recorded in Deer Lodge Prison in Montana. Uh, it was recorded by Barry. You'll hear a steel door creaking, and the EVP will say, Help, I'm in here, and you'll hear Barry ask, Anybody in here? Okay, uh, let's give it a try. That was it sounded like help. I'm here. Is that what it was? I we hear help. I'm in here. Help. I'm in here. Yeah, help. I'm in here. Sure enough. Um, I hate to do this because, uh, but I have no choice. Again. Oh, God, no question about it. Um, so, I mean, what's the theory, Barb? Do you think that this man might have died in jail? I believe if he did not die in that prison, that's where he returned after he died. Really? I, I believe his his spirit is still in that prison. That's creepy. It, yeah, it's a horrible thought is right. Uh, uh, in other words, you do your time, uh, and you do your time. Gee, uh, maybe, maybe he didn't do enough time, or he passed too quickly, so... Cosmically up there, they made him continue to do time, huh? That might be just where he lived most of his life. That might be all he knew. Okay. I can't imagine prison being a very happy place in the first place. So um, it seems like to me, this is my own theory, but I think that people return to locations that they haunt that they were connected to in life. All right. Well, we have a richness. Many of these not played ever on the air before from the GIS. Um, so let's quickly move on to the next one. Uh, you do the setup. Uh, this one uh, was pretty interesting. We had been told at the Deer Lodge that uh, there had been a riot, a prison riot in the prison. It was approximately about 1959, and the warden had been killed and there was two of the prisoners that was up in this prison tower and uh, the uh, police uh, sheriffs and uh, people that were trying to get this riot under control fired a grenade up into this tower where these two uh, prisoners were that were hiding out that were holding out and while we were investigating this prison, you're going to hear Barry and Brendan, they were underneath one of these massive towers of the prison, and you'll hear Brendan uh, remark, you got to think right here is where they brought those two bodies down from up there. Pointing, right. You know, he pointed up to the tower. 
And directly after that, you'll hear this EVP say, my 11th year. My 11th year, really? Okay. you got to think right here where they brought those two bodies down from up there. Wow. That was um, very, very clear. Very clear. And people should understand that um, generally that is an exception. What you're hearing in these clear EVPs is an exception to what you normally get. It's usually much harder to hear. Is that correct? Yes, it is. And sometimes they're so whispery. We we recorded so many that we are not able to use on a radio show just because of how low and soft they are. Right. So what we're going through tonight is from years past, cream of the crop, Never, most of them never heard on the radio, I would say. Huh? Yeah, I believe so. Most of these have not been heard. Okay, let's go one more very quickly. This was also done in the prison, and uh, this was recorded by uh, Brendan. Him and Barry had entered into this main room of the maximum security building. And in this clip, you're going to hear Brendan say, I'm going to go see if the cell door is open. Uh, and go see if the cell door is open. He, op- you know, he repeated himself. And right. as Brendan is walking to the cell, this EVP says, let me out of here. And there's, we argue on what it says. It either says, get me out of here or let me out of here. Let's let everybody decide. Here we go. I'm going to go see if cell door is open. Yeah. Let's see if the cell door is open. <laughs> I think it's let me out of here. That's what it sounds like to me. Let me out of here. Wow. Yeah, there's there's discussion between us on what it's saying. Um it, you know, you can hear something different. And that's all right. Um, it's just that there is a voice there that should not be there. Well, yeah, clearly. <laughs> um, some of these now were recorded on audio tape, and then, of course, in later years, you moved to digital. That sounded almost like it came originally from audio tape. From audio tape. Right. And I think it did. Right. Okay, so... time, it did. Yeah, so... I know how careful you all are not to have anybody else around. You're the most careful organization I know when you record these, sometimes leaving recorders uh, running for hours and hours and hours, right? Yes. And then you get more hours and hours and hours to sift through them and look for anything because at the time you're doing the recording, you don't know what you're getting. That's right, because you don't hear them at the time, usually. I mean, there's been occasions where we have heard the voice, and it just kind of throws you off. You're not expecting to audibly hear it. Right. And uh, so when, um, you know, you if you spend three hours on an investigation, you are using another three hours just to listen to your audio tapes, Another three hours to go through your videotapes. Hmm. Um, so there's a lot of time involved. I get it. All right. Very quickly, uh, before the bottom of the hour here, uh, there are some pictures, Barb. If they go to artbell.com and click on your picture tonight, 
uh, it will lead them to other pictures as they scroll down. What kind of stuff are we seeing? Well, uh, we call it Super Ecto. We were in a, uh, a an amusement park that's located in Utah, and we were in a pioneer village where they've brought in old buildings and old houses and stables, and there's no rides or amusement rides in this area. And uh, Roger took a picture of a buggy and stable, and that was the... It was at nighttime, and uh, we call it a supercharged ecto. We don't we don't know what else to call it. Okay. Um, that first one. The other one is ecto. It kind of looks like a face. You can see eyes, nose, mouth, shoulder. You mean ectoplasm? Yes. Uh-huh. Yeah. Ectoplasm. Okay. And so it's a it's an actual spirit we're seeing there. That's what I believe. That something's starting to materialize and form. And then the next one, which uh, the next one freaks me out. <laughs> What's that? <laughs> we were uh, doing an investigation in an old building. It used to be an opera house, and that's um, now a restaurant. We were down. Um, we had gone down under the into the basement under the floor. You can see how the floor actually slopes down like how the theater's floors go down to the stage. Sure. But uh, we were coming up, and Roger took a picture in the kitchen. And what you should see there is actually the stoves and the refrigerators and things in that restaurant kitchen. And there's these three figures. Roger calls them my three sons, but um, there's three figures there that shouldn't be there. All right. I'm not wild about it, but what a photograph. All right, hold on, Barb. We're at a break. You've got a good long break. My caller's on the line. Everybody hold tight and be patient. We'll get this out as we can tonight. It's dead air. I'm Art Bell. Then, with a smile on your face, please call the show at 1-952-225-5278. That's 1-952-CALL-ART. Good evening. I'm going to warn you again, a lot of what you're going to hear is really going to be frightening because it's real. So, please be wary. Please keep the children away. And, oh, by the way, a hi to Bobby and Cagion Dioro way down in the Philippines. That's my uh, wife's brother, and I wanted to say hello. Now to the phones we go, and uh, hello there. Thank you so much for holding so long, and welcome to the program. Uh, thank you, Art. How you doing? I'm doing well. Um, right. What part of the world are you in? Well, I'm in New Jersey now. I just moved here. I, I recently retired from uh, Las Vegas Metro Police in July. Oh, you were one of ours. Yes, yeah, for 15 years. All right, so tell me what happened. So, 
at the time, it was a few years back, um, I was working for a, a team as a saturation team, and we're two-man units. Usually Metro's a single man. Mm-hmm. And uh, we were down on the strip working on a Friday, and it was busy, and we, me and my partner were tired, and we just kind of wanted to go chill out. So we jumped in the car, and we took off towards Lake Mead. And uh, as we're going down, we didn't get all the way down to there. We got to about Boulder Highway and, and uh, Lake Mead. And we pulled off, and there's a road called Pabco Road. And that road actually goes all the way around out to the desert. Mm-hmm. So we pull off into the desert, and uh, we kind of just pulled around and turned the lights off and just turned on the parking lights and just sat there and started chilling out. Now, my partner's sitting. I'm driving, and my partner's sitting there, and he's on his phone. And as I'm looking, just illuminated to our right, I see somebody walking towards us. And I said, oh, man, we just didn't even want to get bothered. So this person's probably about... 25 yards away and they're walking from my right to left yes so i tell my partner i'm like hey heads up there's somebody coming so he looks up and we see as he's getting closer we see a female she's probably about 15 12 to 15 years old short brown hair and she's dressed in like 1950s it almost looked like a poodle skirt or something it was kind of light mm. brown and so she now she's walking in front of us and she's right in front of our car and she's not looking at us and then as she gets to about past my window, I look down and she, she doesn't have any feet and she's just walking by, but I can see her skirt moving. With no <laughs> feet. Like, no feet oh at all. God, I didn't pay attention to her. What is like, a, we you know, when a law enforcement officer sees something like this, what do you, what do, you do? Well, <laughs> well, my partner goes, is that real? <laughs> I said, I don't know. Well, I, by the time I turned the spotlight on, she was gone. There was nothing there. We're in the middle of the desert. There's, they're not even scrub or anything. It was, it was like a construction area. I take it, though, she was close enough, you got a good look. Oh, I, I, I could identify her in a lineup. And, in fact, it was, and it, I'll tell you how, how busy we were. It was That happened, and we kind of just like, okay, I mean, it's, it's Las Vegas. and <laughs> We deal with that kind of stuff. It's kind of weird. Um, so, I don't want to think that, but okay. <laughs> well, so... We go on about our day, and I actually kind of forgot about it because it got really crazy that night. Uh-huh. And uh, about a couple weeks go by, and we're in briefing, and they do electronic briefing where they show it up on the wall, and you know they're going through the slides. And homicide, Las Vegas homicide, just came out with a thing where they wanted us to all re- review all the cold case files. Right. So they're coming up. Okay, this week's this, this week's that, this week's that, and, I, and I'm, you know, no one's really, yeah, you know, we're kind of paying attention, and uh, they pop this one up and as soon as i saw the picture i was like that is that's the girl we saw oh my and i God. didn't even i didn't even read the rest of it I, I was like i know i was like she was murdered in anderson i know she was it had been near boulder highway and, and papco and i looked at it and sure enough that's that was her when ha- when had she been murdered did you obviously you looked into the date i'm sure yes it was 1975 and uh <sighs> They don't know exactly where she was murdered, but she was found out by the Henderson Ponds near there. And uh, I guess she was last seen walking down Boyer Highway. Well, you know, uh, they do say that, you know, people who go in that violent way tend to be stuck here somehow or another. That, man, that's some story, brother. It was, (laughs) and and my partner happened to be off that night, and I I texted him the picture of that girl, and he freaked out. (laughs) He 
Oh my God! Um, do yeah. You, do you still keep in touch with your partner, then? Yeah, in fact, he was just texting me, and uh, I told him uh, to listen. He's still active duty out there, so hopefully uh, he won't have to go through a psychological eval after this, because <laughs> they're going to figure out who this is. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure they will. I so appreciate your coming on with that story, and I can understand why you'd be hesitant to tell it, and uh, you would never tell it uh, on active duty. No, no, never. <laughs> Wouldn't want to make out that report. No, never. I thank you, my friend. All right, all right, take T- care. Take care. Let's uh, let's take one more quickly. Hello there. You are on uh, dead air. Uh, good evening, or it's uh, Ed from New Jersey. How you doing? Hi, Ed. New Jersey, back to the East Coast again. All right. Good to be talking to you again, sir. Okay. Well, my story uh, takes place in the mid-'80s. I was about 10 years old. I was uh, at a buddy's house after school. His father was doing some yard work and uh, digging pretty deep for what he was doing. He came across something, didn't know what it was, ended up being a coffin. A what? A coffin. A coffin. A coffin. Oh, God. This was the inner city in New Jersey. Homes were from the mid to late 1800s, early 1900s. So, uh, you know, they were small, it was a small backyard. So, long story short, with that, ended up being a, a toddler. They looked into it, the authorities. When it was done back 100, years, 100 or so years ago, it was done properly. Nobody knew it was there. <sighs> what about six? Uh, not what I want to find when I go digging in my backyard. Um, no. so, so, it was an infant. Yeah, I believe it was an 18, around 18 months old. Um, I, I, boy, so, uh, I would assume all all you found would months. be all you found would be bones at that point, of course. Well, I wasn't there when I opened it. You know, they, they, they you know, consider yourself away. lucky. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Um, any um, activity at all after that? Yes. Um, this is what. The good part of it is, oh. for six or seven months, a new pal starts hanging with us. I got my buddy's house again. You know, what happened in the past is distant memory. Um, and then one day, our new buddy says to my friend who talked to us, I didn't know you had a little brother. He said, I don't have a little brother. Yeah. I said, yeah, you do. He was just, you know, peeking at me and waving from the top of the steps. Yeah. He was like, well, we thought, you know, this and this kid, you know, we thought maybe he was joking around with us. You know, he never heard anything about the story. He was new to town, but his family was originally from the area. So every time we would be at the house, this one friend of ours would be the only one to see this kid. Well, one day, the kid's father comes to pick him up and says, you know, guys, when you hear a funny story, my great-grandparents used to live here. They actually lost a child when he was about two years old. So it was the one friend who was seeing this entity's relative, great-great-uncle or or whatever it may be. You know, when we do these uh, Voices of the Dead, this GIS stuff, we get a lot of children's voices. Extremely disturbing. I really thank you for the story. That's uh, I don't know what to think about that, but it's a great ghost story. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Take care. Ay 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 ay. Uh let's uh go let's go back to Barbara. Um hey Barbara. Those were great. Those Wonderful were pretty, stories. pretty good stories, huh? Yes. 
and the police officer, they, when they see something, I mean, they're trained to be very, you know, I mean, they're on detail, you know, that that's great. I wonder yeah. if he ever found the killer. I, oh, that would have been a good, very, very good question. I guess it could still be a cold case today. All right, let's let's move on. Uh, number four. All right, uh, this uh, next one. We were investigating Gold Hill Hotel up uh, around uh, Virginia City, Nevada, and uh, you're going to hear me uh, say, like I usually do, I began asking if anyone was present, and you'll hear me say, "Is there some? Is there someone here?" Will you make your presence known to us? And you'll hear a young child, I, I think it sounds like a young boy, saying, help me. Help me. All right, here it comes. If there's someone here, will you make your presence known to us? Okay, so that was a child's voice. I'm very curious about the electronic accompaniment. What? Any idea what that was? No, I have no idea. It was kind of an odd sound that went with it, huh? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You, you could hear it, still hear it well. I, there is nothing that bothers me more than hearing the voice of a child that's passed. And it's because, I guess we all feel, children should go immediately without passing go up. To where it's good, yeah. right? And it it just makes me question uh, why there are why we get so many children's voices because we never ever have allowed children to be with us. Of course, of course. Um, all right, all right. Let's do another one. Um, we've got so many. So um, this one, uh, you, you will hear Barry. Uh, talking to Roger, and, and Barry is kind of harassing Roger, <laughs> and they're talking about some movie. We can't even remember what movie he was talking about, but he says, I think you seen that movie at the LDS Temple, that he said to Roger. And you'll hear Roger say, they do have some good shows, though, and then a man's voice says, kill them both. Kill them both? <laughs> uh, okay, here we go. I think you've seen that movie at the LDS Temple. I do have some good children. Huh. I, I'm not sure what that noise is. Um, I, I don't know either. Well, let's uh, actually close things up and try it again. Uh, that was, uh, I believe, uh, number five, right? Yeah. So let's see what number five does now. That's slow I think down. you've seen that movie at the LDS Temple. I do have some good show at this Okay, well, that's still, unfortunately, it's very, <laughs> it's still, through all of that, it's very easy to hear. I'm wondering, uh, just let me go back very quickly and play number one uh, to see if it 
has that noise on it. Now, you see, that's as it should be, the cell door opening. That is exactly as it should be. So we'll see if we keep getting that noise. I, I certainly hope not. Um, perhaps we'll move out of it, but uh, because without it, it would be a lot clearer. Yeah. Kill them yeah, both. Kill them both. Jeez. Um, all right, let's try number six just, just to see if this is hanging with us. Okay. Um, and it could just be the Gold Hill Motel, Hotel. Who knows? Yeah, that could be. <laughs> um, we were uh, in the living room area of this uh, Gold Hill Lodge, and I, you can hear me say, if you can speak, will you speak so I can hear you? And it's a child saying, Mother. Oh. All right. Here we go. If you can speak, will you speak so I can hear you? Mother, I, yes, mother, but um, I just don't get that sound. And uh, we'll kind of examine uh, during a break coming up what that sound is. In in the meantime, uh, let me quickly go to Skype and uh, Israel. Hello, Israel. Yes, hello? Hi. Hi. Do you have a ghost story for us? Yes, Mr. Bell, I have a uh, have a very good ghost story for you. Fire away. Okay. Let me get comfortable here. and uh, I'm kind of nervous, so let me take a deep breath. Deep breath, yeah. <laughs> so this ghost story comes from my mother. My mother's a Pentecostal pastor. Right. She's never told a, told a lie to me ever in my life, so I, uh, I have to believe her on this, and it's very hard for me because I'm a very rational person, and this is a very weird story. So let me take another deep breath here. Okay. <laughs> so this ghost story took place in the mid-60s. My mother was traveling around, and uh, she found herself in the capital of Honduras. I believe it's called Tegucigualpa. Mm -hmm. And uh, she was uh, traveling around with some friends. And uh, some of the friends, they worked at a, uh, at a resort, a hotel resort. This hotel resort was under renovation. So uh, they go there. They say, let's, uh, let's stay the night here. And uh, the ones that worked there, they went ahead and stayed in their, their quarters, in the employee quarters. That was downstairs on the first floor in the kitchen area next to a, uh, a jukebox. This jukebox was un uh, unplugged for the renovations. It was also next to a, a dining area with uh, many chairs and tables. Right. Um, my mother was staying on the third floor. She was just had a room there, I guess because of the renovations or whatnot. And uh, on the fourth floor was staying a mother and her child. This was going to come into play. Okay. So my mother, she goes to sleep. Everybody goes to sleep. And uh, at a, I, I don't know what time of night, but middle of the night, my mother wakes up and she sees this dark figure above her. She says that this dark figure, excuse me here. <laughs> you have to understand, I'm kind of nervous here. I get it. No problem. So so this dark figure above her, it's wearing a 1920s, uh, early 20th century uh, tuxedo kind of thing. Oh. Kind of roaring 20s tuxedo kind of thing. This thing is uh, has bold eyes. Dark beard is just looking at her with hate in its eyes. It reaches down and grabs her by the throat, okay? Oh. She can't move. She can't breathe. She can't scream. 
she tells me that after a while she she just she I don't know how she got the courage and she just the power and she just r- broke free from from this thing and she ran out of the room I mean uh, understandably yes and she she ran downstairs and uh when she got downstairs she found everybody awake the people downstairs said that in a they had heard the jukebox going off they had heard the, the tables and the chairs moving around and a lot of commotion, like if people were there. Of course, this is under renovation. There's nobody there. Sure. So, so they're they're there. They're of course they're freaked out. And then all of a sudden, they start to hear the baby crying. They run up to the fourth floor. They can't open the door. My mother tells me that the mother had uh, left the baby in the crib, had locked the door, and had left for some reason. Mm. Yeah, I mean, yeah, mother of the year, right? Right. So, <laughs> so they force the door open, and when they force the door open, they find the baby on the floor on a neatly laid out uh, blanket. Mm. Someone had just laid out a blanket neatly, put the baby on top of it. Yikes! Yeah, and when they when they tell the mother, the mother said, "No, the baby was in the crib. I locked this door," and of course, everybody is very freaked out. <laughs> Course. So, so they all come to the agreement that they're going to sleep in the same room and they're just going to sleep out the night. See, and that's that's very rational to me. <laughs> I would too. Yeah, yeah, yes, sir, yes, sir. And I mean that that's the end of the story, Mr. Bell. I mean they just slept out the night in the same room, and that's what happened at that uh, that hotel. So somebody must have tenderly held or moved that child. How in the world could anything like that happen? It's very weird, and like I said, I, I'm not the type of person to believe this, but this comes from my mother, who's never lied. She's a Pentecostal pastor, and it's very hard for me to... Oh, I believe you. I, yeah. I just don't understand or even begin to understand the forces involved. And in hearing the voices of those who have passed, uh, as we've been doing, is really, really creepy to me. Oh, and Mr. Bell, if I can add, uh, I remember an old show with the GIS that uh, they had the the bathtub, if you remember. Oh, it I, really freaked you out. How would I ever forget that? <laughs> that was a very good episode. The very uh, show. Uh, the Drowning, I believe. Yes, sir. Yes, that that's what it was, and that freaked me out. That was That's why I remember it. <laughs> okay. All right. Thank you very, very much for your story. This, of course is dead air. What's going to happen tonight? Well, I don't really know, frankly. You? Welcome to Dead Air. Worldwide on the internet, this is Midnight in the Desert with your host, Art Bell. To call the show, resolutely dial 1 952 
Call Arts. That's 1-952-225-5278. Indeed. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we're going back to Barbara Macbeth now and more Voices of the Dead, and that really is what you're hearing. You're hearing Voices of the Dead, and it really becomes very, very disturbing for some people to hear this. Um, and I checked, Barbara. It looks like we're out of the bad audio territory. That uh, those just yeah those just had it on it. So number seven coming up. Uh, tell us about number seven. Uh, we this was at a mortician's home that he was having activity, and I always felt like uh, something had followed him home from work. And you're going to hear him. We were up in uh, his son's bedroom uh, where a lot of activity was taking place. And you're going to hear the mortician say, can you see him while he's here? Can you see the lights? And you will hear a voice. And there's a, we have a dispute on what it says. Um, I don't know if I want to live. And the other one says, I don't know how I'm going to live. Okay. Uh, so uh, I guess first choice would be, I don't know if I want to live. Here we go. Can you see the lights here? Can you see the lights? No, that's on the lights. No, that's on the lights. Oh, man, that's clear. Um, I don't know if I want to live. I, I think that's very clear to me. Is it? How does somebody on the other side... If that's where they are, um, I don't, you know, I mean, that's a statement, right, Barb, of somebody who is probably alive, a statement, or, or, or somebody who is very recently dead and doesn't know it yet. Or the mind is continuing and they want it to stop and they're, they're still, as far as they're concerned, they're still alive because their consciousness is All right. still going. One more time from the other side. Can you see the lights here? Totally creepy, Barbara. I don't know if I want to live. I don't know if I want to hear that one again. Um, I want to emphasize to everybody that your organization is pristine, as are you, Barbara, uh, ethically, um, in every way you can imagine, this is the real McCoy you're hearing. Uh, these people have done a fabulous job with thousands upon th- thousands of hours of work. Think what you will of what you're hearing, but there's nobody around making these sounds. There's no fakery about what you hear going on. Number eight. On this one, uh, this was t- uh, recorded at uh, Indian school uh, where they would take children, Indian children, American Indian children off the reservations and bring them to the school, and this is where they would live also. And uh, we were there at this location. There is no uh, other voice that you'll hear. It's just the EVP, and it it sounds like it says, I don't want to come. I don't want to come back. Okay, I don't want to come or I don't want to come back. Listen carefully, everybody. (laughs) 
Holy Barbara. So um, obviously a lot of hum in that one, but also obviously very easy to hear. I don't want to come. I don't want to come back. That's exactly what I hear. Now, maybe that is suggestion. Um, maybe not, but it sounded extremely clear to me the hum was the only it problem with it. Very sad. Very but, sad. Yeah. I don't want to come back. I don't want to come. I don't want to come back, which could mean, I don't know. Do you, after you get these, Barb, uh, particularly these disturbing ones, do you um, try and analyze what they might have meant? It could mean so many things. To me, the the Indian school wasn't a very happy place for those Indian children to be. They weren't allowed to speak their native tongue. They had to speak English. Uh, they couldn't uh, practice even their religion at this this location. So it was a very sad place. Okay. Um, how do you maintain your composure, uh, Barbara? When I guess you've done it for years, but still in all, hearing this stuff puts a big chill down my spine. So how do you maintain composure? Well, it's something that um, I, I have never been afraid of this. I, just my upbringing, I'm very used to this kind of thing. The, the thing that's different is the technology that is allowing me to be able to hear oh, yeah. the things that uh, that I'm able, you know, that able to record. Sure. Okay, let's but, go on. Uh, let's go on. Number nine. Um, this one is Brendan. You'll. Uh, this was at the mausoleum, at a mausoleum, and you'll hear Brendan say, "Hello, is anyone here?" And this. EVP was recorded. It's cold. It's cold. Hmm. Yeah, cold. Here we go. Hello, is anyone here? is too clear. Uh, that's either a child, I'm guessing, or a very young, I think young child, I mean, maybe 12? That's what I think. Something I think like it's a young child. So what do we conclude, uh, Barbara, I ask you for the 10 millionth time, from hearing these children talk from the other side? Uh, it just, It just doesn't make sense, Barb. No, it doesn't, and I can't. Uh, I can't give you an answer. I don't know. They shouldn't be I'd there. Be, I'd be lying if I said I. Yeah, knew. they shouldn't be there. That, that's what I would they say. They, they, ought they, they not. should not be there. Okay. All right. Hold tight for a minute, Barb. Let's try a ghost story from Skype. These have to be good ones. Hello, you're on the air. Hello. Hello. Hi. Hi again. Um, I just want to start. I'm from East Hampton, Massachusetts. Okay. 
Um, I just want to start by saying that I have had lucid dreams before, and I have never had sleep paralysis, and what I'm about to say is none of these things. Okay. Um, I was uh, about seven or eight, and I was sent to bed early. I was being a bad kid, as I did at that time. (laughs) And I was sent to my room, so I took a while to get to sleep. But when I did, around 9, 9.30... Uh, I was woken up by a woman screaming. Wonderful. It was not my mother. Uh, my grandmother had passed away at the time. And she was screaming at me and saying, come out here. <laughs> and I, as a foolish child, I decided to go out into the hallway. And in the hallway, sitting on a rocking chair that was not there before, I saw an old black woman. Good Lord. And this old black woman began to yell at me, telling me how I had let my family down, telling me how I was a bad person, and I maybe lasted four seconds out in that hallway before I ran back into my bedroom. You know what? My first reaction would have been, not to run out into the hall where the screaming was, but to go under the covers where uh, perceived safety was. As a seven-year-old, I must have thought that you were being whatever ordered. happened to me, I'm safe, because my parents were in the hallway right across the way. Aye. Wow. Okay, well, I, I don't know what to say about that, except you were one brave little seven-year-old. I'm much less brave now than hmm. then. I take it. You. I take it uh, that eventually this older black lady was just suddenly gone. Yeah, never again. Any haunting things in my house? Uh, my mom used to say that my godmother was there when a wine glass broke, but I never felt the same feeling of this woman since that one time. I'm sure you're not looking forward to it again. So, listen, thank you very, very much for the call. I appreciate it, and uh, I appreciate the uh, the brevity and the particularly scary nature of the call. Okay, so let's take one more, shall we, uh, very quickly. Uh, let's go to the phone line and say, hello, you're on the air. Hi, this is Wendy in Squim, Washington. Hi, Wendy. Uh, Barbara's listening to uh, your story as well as am I, so go ahead. Okay. Um, Well, this starts off with a Ouija board, and my brother was living in a house which was a very large farmhouse originally uh, in a part of California called Rancho Cucamonga Upland area. Oh, yes, I know it, yes. Yes. Um, and anyway, he was, there was like six or seven different apartments in the place that he stayed, that he lived in, that had all been carved out of this house. And he was using a Ouija board and started to communicate with this, um, something he wasn't aware of what it was, but he, he was being alarmed that the house, there was something in the house that was, um, in danger, that the, there was going to be a bad thing that was going to happen. Uh, in the house and was driving him in his dreams even when he wasn't on the Ouija board to trying to find out what this was he finally started to um, get a sense that there was a family living in the house 
and the father had been really abusive, and there were like six or seven kids, and apparently the two smaller of the kids were abused. I don't know exactly to, to what extent or all the details on that, but um, anyway, the, the house uh, was a place that was very sad because also um, at some point later the house had to be sold. My brother looked all the records up on the house later. The house had to be sold, uh, and so actually because it was a depression, people often did, took their riches and they buried them someplace in these homes. You bet. They would be able to come back to them. Sure. And so there was this big treasure in the house, is what this Ouija board was telling him. And there was different players that were different roles coming on the Ouija board. One time it was a little girl. One time it was the, the father who was very abusive and angry. And so it was a huge drama playing out, you know, with my brother and this Ouija board. In the meantime... So what, just, what was he, excuse me, what was he trying to do? Different times reach back and get the same person so he could find out where... Yeah, he was really sucked into the story. He he was curious. He he felt the other thing was he he always appreciated something older, you know, the heritage part of life. Yes. And um not very many people do that really. So because um he was sensitive to that, they, they he appealed to them and they appealed to him. And he was also lonely, living alone. And I think that probably didn't help things either. But there was just this, this wanting to reach out and communicate. Okay. Anyway, on with the story. So anyway, he he does eventually uh, is driven. He tells the landlord he's worried. There's some kind of maybe a he thinks maybe it's an electrical problem. You know, he's he's uh, trying to solve it like a you know Sherlock Holmes, right? You could call it an electromagnetic problem, I guess. Yeah. So anyway, of course, I think he's kind of. He tells me these stories. I believe that he's sane. I don't think he has. There, I have no reason to believe that he has lost touch with reality. Let's okay. just put it that that's, way. That's fine. Uh, anyway, so he um, he finally ultimately does get the landlord to start looking around, and they do find on a very hot. You know, there's this really urgent messages on the, from the Ouija board telling him, you know, time is of the essence. You must. You must. You know, driving him. To tell you know to get some, to find out what's wrong so the house doesn't burn down, and that's what they're trying to tell him. The house is going to burn down. Oh he doesn't God. know why. You know he's terrified. His whole place is going to burn down. His birds, you know. His, yeah, maybe so. maybe the spirit was worried about the treasure. Well, you know that's kind of a twist about the treasure. So you're okay. you're, right. you're getting hot there. I'm sorry. That. Proceed. You got, you got the good guts for okay. these kinds of stories, don't Go ahead. you? <laughs> yeah. All these years. Anyway, so. Um, he finally he the landlord does you know okay you're crazy but I'll go and I'll look around I'll check everything so sure enough a hundred plus you know how hot it gets out there right regularly sure. and it's an old house hundred plus years old well, not quite a hundred years old but it was pushing a hundred years old lots of little hacks everywhere to make it in the depression so people could rent it as an apartment all over the place right so it's probably chevy parted if you will if you guys if anyone knows what that means still <laughs> <laughs> um, but um, so he goes up to the attic and it's over a hundred and ten degrees in the attic and there's a sure enough there's a faulty water heater up there oh, and it's it's it had they probably not gone up there the house probably would have burned down <laughs> but that's not the end of the story so david goes wow could you believe that you know i saved the house from being burned down and, right well you know and the, he didn't tell the landlord really the wall that was going on obviously because he didn't want the landlord to think he was nuts right <laughs> So then later, I think he's nuts. I'm thinking, oh gosh, you know, and my mother, to just tell you a little bit about our family, she's a clairvoyant. I won't get into all the details, but she, 
she would know who was in the cookie jar from two doors down, and there's four of us. And, <laughs> I mean, she just had eyes behind her head, and she's, I won't go all the details on that, but um, anyway, uh, my, my brother is very clairvoyant, and I kind of think, well, maybe there's something to this. So my mother comes to visit, and she stays in his room, and where his bed is, and she gets in the bed, and she's sleeping in the bed, and she feels this presence walking out of the closet, coming around the side of the bed, mm. and climbing into the bed with her. Mm. And my mother actually didn't feel threatened at all because she's so clairvoyant that she knew immediately that this was a child that wanted to get close to her that mm. had known her son but didn't feel comfortable with a male person. Okay. And maybe didn't have much close, you know, personal relationship with the mother but needed a mommy, you know, her being a mommy and all. Got it. And so she kind of reached, you know, just reached out, you know, emotionally to reassure this child, you know. But then she told my brother, geez, Dave, you know. Anyway, so um, we all believed him. There's no reason not to believe him. There was a treasure. They they were trying to drive him through the Ouija board. But the last part of the story, I think my brother's kind of maybe a little off. Maybe he's do, just spending too much time alone, et cetera. So I'm spending a lot of time with him. And I'm sitting up on his – in his. He's, since he's moved from one apartment in the place to another one upstairs. Yes. And I'm sitting upstairs, and, I'm, and there's three people on this, on this futon with our, all of our backs up against the wall. And my brother's sitting across the room, we're all talking, right? Yeah. And what we don't know about the house is there was a staircase in the house that had been gutted. Uh, it had been taken out, you know. But originally the plans had had an elaborate staircase like many of these homes do with the big, you know, little post all, uh, posts all the way up. And um, it had been gutted, though. It wasn't there anymore. All right. We're kind of running out of time here. Okay, so the, the, I'm sitting there, and I feel so clearly as day some kid sitting with their back up against the stairs, pounding on my back up against the wall. Wow, yes. And I look to my right, and the two people don't feel it. <laughs> I mean, I heard it. I felt it. <laughs> I turned and with my chin dropped. The people next to me, literally next to me, did not feel it, hear it, or understand what I was so alarmed about. Okay. I looked at my brother. We both smiled. <laughs> what was the treasure? Well, there we never found the treasure. He searched, never found it. Okay. Thought it was a Rolex watch from yeah. the twenties. <laughs> All right. Thank you very much for the story. Um, I would have liked for the treasure to have been located, but that much communication on a Ouija board. Well, frankly, even a little communication on a Ouija board is a very, very, very bad idea. Barb, uh, welcome back. Thank you. You agree, with, by the way, on the Ouija board? Oh, yes. It's not a toy. It's not a toy, and so many people treat it that way, don't they? Well, it's how it's promoted. Uh-huh. Um, uh, Barb, you and I are both getting up there. I don't know how old you are, and I won't ask because you're a lady, but, you know, I'm 70. I'm hearing footsteps. I know eventually I'll be on the other side. Uh, is it your intent, Barbara, to try and communicate when you get there? Yes. I have every intention of doing my best uh, to to uh, let people know that I am still around. I've always told my brother, if you feel somebody tap you on the shoulder and you turn around and nobody's there, it's me. <laughs> I've always told my wife to watch the ceiling, and she usually slaps me. All right, let's go to number 10. <laughs> Number 10. 
All right. This was in uh, Rollins Penitentiary. We did this prison many times. Um, this We were in the uh, death house recording, and we had uh, Fox News with us at this location. Wow. On what, I think it was around Halloween time. Okay. And um, this voice uh, was recorded on three recorders and my video uh, recorder. Wow. Um, this one was rec- recorded... Um, I think the one that's on the website was uh, done by Jenny, but everybody picked it up, and she was in a different location than me and Barry and Roger. That is so interesting. Three devices picking it up. Yeah, there was actually four. There was four. three recorders and my video recorder. Okay. So you'll hear this voice say, I appear. <laughs> I appear. Okay, here we go. I appear. Ooh. I appear. Well, there's nothing at all uh, hard to hear about that, is there? I appear, and uh, I guess the next thing... Let me hear that again. I appear. I appear. I appear. You know, if you could have heard that in real time, I think uh, I would have run. (laughs) Because there would have been obviously something about to manifest itself uh, right there. Yes, and and the thing that's so unique about this voice is every recorder, no matter where it was located at that time, picked it up just as loud. <laughs> um, it was loud. So, so do we theorize, because you don't hear these with your ear, right? That's correct. The majority of the time you don't. So then do we, oh, the majority of the time, so every now and then? Every now and then it happened. Uh, yeah, it happens, but I see. Uh, not very often. So I wonder, do we imagine that they use electromagnetic energy to project these voices into the uh, the microphone or the device itself? I I have no idea how they do it. <laughs> yeah, I understand. I don't. I don't. <laughs> All right. All right. Uh, number 11. Um, you're going to hear Barry and Brendan. This is still at the Rollins prison. Um, they were walking into uh, the solitary confinement area, and they hear Roger talking in another section of the building. And um, Brendan asks Roger, "You're going to you're, you're going to hear Brendan ask uh, Brendan." Uh, <laughs> Brendan asks Barry, "Who's Roger talking?" With you know who's he with, and right. Barry responds sarcastically, he could be talking to somebody and have nobody with him. <laughs> and and uh, the voice that uh, recorded, it sounds uh, it's upset and it says, "You lose again, coward." Really? Okay, here we go. Who's Roger with? Then? Who's talking to somebody? He could be talking to somebody. Have nobody with Coward. Um, That sounded like I would I would say a woman's voice. Yes. Yes, and they had a woman's section, a woman's prison there in that prison. They had a a small section. Oh, 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 oh! I understand. Okay, that. 
Uh, that explains it, I guess. Um, you did tend to go to a lot of, oh, I don't know, prisons, and um, did you go to hospitals? Uh, we tried. Uh, uh, in fact, there was one that was being torn down, and I thought it would be an excellent place to go uh, because I had had so many employees of that hospital and patients of that hospital tell me, how they had seen a woman in red in the original intensive care area. Uh-huh. And uh, so I waited until they relocated all the patients and all the machines and all their stuff out of the hospital, and I had approached the uh, members of their board of directors if we could conduct an investigation there before it was torn down. I would imagine in years past it would have been easier. All the uh, attention now to the paranormal, TV shows, radio shows, investigators crawling all over the place. Yeah, exactly. It was a lot of years ago before people were really Mm -hmm. doing this much of it because now I'm sure there's a lot of no's that are given out. Well, yeah, they would not let me do it uh, even though it was being torn down. Do you believe, Barbara, that the collection that we're hearing tonight, and so many more, so, so many more, are evidence, absolute evidence of people who have died? To me, it is. I don't know how else, um, how it could be explained any other way. I, I, to me, I have no doubt about life continuing. Your your body, you might be dead, but you continue. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, let's do another one, if we dare. I, I believe this would be uh, number thirteen. No, this is twelve. This is twelve. Okay. There you go. I'm wrong. Sorry about that. That's okay. Uh, you're going to hear Brendan. He's talking to the prison director. And you will hear her ask uh, him, what what do you do with it? And she she's referring to uh, CDs that he had made for her uh, while we had been at the prison previously. Okay. And uh, he responds and say, he says, uh, I've got it because I make backups of all of them. And a voice joins the conversation and says, I have to go now. I'm dead. Oh, my. Um Okay, here we go. What are you doing? I still got it, because I make backups of all of them. Uh, That one is uh, shockingly clear, I'm afraid. Um, There may be some people who have a problem with it. but I'm not one of them. I have, uh, I have to go now. I'm dead. One more time. I've got to do this again. What are you doing? I still got it because I make backups of all of them. That's just. Uh, Totally too creepy. I'm I'm glad I didn't, and I almost skipped it. Good Lord! Uh, so <laughs> I have to go now. I'm dead. I guess they get busy on the other side. Um, you know, actually, in, in even though that was horribly creepy, 
uh, it would su- suggest that, I, I don't know, maybe he's headed to a gin rummy game or I'm trying to think the best here. <laughs> you know, or some, some activity that they have over on the other side. I have to go now. I'm dead. Catch you later. Um, I don't know. I'd, I'd, I'm going to ask you in a little while if you, uh, if you've ever, I don't know, discerned something about what's on the other side, what awaits us. This is dead air. Via Skype, worldwide, if on a computer, please be sure to use a headphone mic and call MITD51. That's MITD51. And so, it continues. Good evening, everybody. I'm Art Bell, and this is Dead Air. Indeed, mid-warning, this is rough stuff. You're hearing the voices of the dead. That's right, the voices of the dead. This is uh, the GIS that has uh, done the work for you over many, many years and thousands of hours of recording, transporting themselves to uh, locations where they thought they could get things and getting them. And here is, uh, once again, Barbara Macbeth. Uh, Barbara, welcome back. Thank you. Let's do a couple and then a couple of ghost stories. Uh, We're sort of just jumping all over the place tonight, so uh, I'm taking it. I hope you're keeping track with me. I would think the next one would be 13. You're right. Okay, good. Good for once. Uh, This is a private residence, and uh, you'll hear Brendan say, I tell you what, it is hot in this house. (laughs) And... He recorded um, this voice, and I don't know what it was referring to, but it says, she didn't put it down. Hmm, she didn't put it down. All right, here we go. I tell you what, it is hot in this house. She didn't put it down. She didn't put it down. She didn't put it down. All right, I have an observation about that one right away. And that is, not only is it clear, but it's almost too clear. I mean, it's almost like, you know, somebody was in the room actually saying that. Uh, of course, we have no idea what it means, and I trust you implicitly, Barb, but if I didn't know better, I'd say that's, you know, like somebody in the room. That's how clear it is, although there is a... A certain sound that comes with it it's a little bit unnerving, huh? Yes, and it, the difference I think that you're hearing is Brendan used a condensed microphone and it was recorded into his computer. Ah, okay. That would explain it, but a good one, oh, a good one. I tell you what, it is hot in this house. She didn't put it down. She didn't put it down. <laughs> um, 
So she didn't put it down, but there's no way, no way to know what that means, huh? No. I mean, it wasn't, it, it, it's, uh, what it's saying isn't relating to anything that was being said or done at that time. Barbara, you, you do this, uh, but how do you sleep at night? I sleep very well. <laughs> you do, huh? Oh, yes. <laughs> this this doesn't scare me. I find it very fascinating. People that have witnessed ghosts, uh, like a full apparition, yes. they, I feel like they are very fortunate. And I feel like we have been very fortunate that we have recorded so many voices that they have talked to us like what they have done. Did you hear the opening story? It was from Heather, actually. Um, yes. Oh, my. That's called Up Close with an Apparition. Yes, and she's, she's very fortunate to have experienced that because there are so many people, especially people that research it and all the ghost investigators that are out there now, mm -hmm. they would love to experience something like that. Um, they would give anything to experience that. I guess that would be true of ghost investigators, but it would not be true of me. <laughs> that tells you why I'm not a ghost investigator. Just hearing these voices puts a chill down my spine, and I guess we might as well do the next one, though I'm almost <laughs> hesitant. Um, tell me about it. This, this was in the same, um, in fact, it was the same day, and Brendan uh, recorded this in the same house. Uh, he says, is anyone here? Does anyone want to talk to me? And this voice was recorded, there was blood. There was blood? Uh-huh. Okay, here we go. Is anyone here? Do they want to talk to me? Ah. Oh, good Lord. Um, there was blood. At least it's past tense. Now, if that voice had said there will be blood, <laughs> it wouldn't matter. I mean, you, you don't hear it until you get home. But uh, if it had said there will be blood, then I guess I'd count myself lucky that I got home at all. <laughs> R relax for just a moment, Barbara. God, that, that was awful. Um we're, on Skype, we have Katie. Do you have a good ghost story, Katie? Yes, sir. Okay, proceed. Um, first off, I just want to tell you I love you oh, and well, your you. family. I pray for you all the time. And um, All the time? You've got to be from the South. Yes, oh. sir. Okay. I live um, on the Arkansas-Louisiana line. All right. That explains it. Yep, and I think that ghost on that EVP was saying she didn't turn the air conditioner down. Was why it was so hot in there. <laughs> I'd have to listen back for it, but God, it's <laughs> creepy listening to those voices. Anyway, go ahead. Okay, so um, one night I had went to sleep, and I had this horrible dream that this demon thing was at the end of my bed grabbing my feet, trying to pull me off the bed. Yes. And just I woke a, just up. Just a dream, though, right? Yes, it started out as a dream. Oh, oh. And I woke up, and I sat up, and I was like, oh, goodness. And um, I felt something on my feet, and I was like, 
uh, I happened to look down there and it was actually really there grabbing my feet and I felt it trying to pull me and I started kicking and I was just like, leave in the name of Jesus, leave in the name of Jesus because that's what my mama told me to always do if I ever sure. encountered anything. Sure. It, it left. I was like, ooh, Jesus, okay. when, that's to help me. Yes, when you looked down and you say you saw it, what did you see? Hands or, I mean, a whole, a what? I saw this impish-looking thing. It, it might have been like four, four and a half feet tall. It had like scaly-looking skin. Aye, its aye, aye. its hands had pointy nails, and it was grabbing around my ankles and on my feet. Aye. It just horrified me. Um, I completely understand. Um, all right, thank you so very much for that story, I think. Barb, um, what did you think about that? Well, I that is not a ghost, whatever she experienced there. Uh, that's not a ghost. No? You would classify that? That's a different kind of an entity. Uh-huh. If she experienced something like that, and that's what she saw, uh-huh. that's a different kind of an entity. Have you... <laughs> I, I'm afraid to even ask, but have you encountered that different kind of entity in your work? Uh, I have in not what she described, but I have encountered different kinds of entities before um, the GIS, just in my upbringing, yes. That's scary. That's legitimately scary. All right, uh, let's grab one more quick ghost story here from Jazz Monday in Australia. Hello there. Hi, Art. Hi. Scary night. Scary night indeed. Yes, so uh, back in 96, my brother was suffering a deep depression and he hardly ever came out of his room and one day I found him unresponsive in his bed Mm. with an empty bottle of pills and a note and the paramedics came they worked on him for what seemed like hours and uh, at one stage they thought they had lost him and then they were able to revive him and uh, stabilise him enough to get him to the hospital long story short, they did get him to the hospital he did survive um He's since turned his life around. He's no longer in a deep depression, and he's living overseas with a wife and family. Um, So fast forward to earlier this year, and my sister and I were helping out at my parents' house, and she was putting her son to bed in one of the bedrooms. As she exited the room, um, she was startled because she thought she saw a solid human figure with its back towards her, who she categorically claims was my brother, uh, because you sort of know the look of someone you've known for all your life of when course. you see them from oh, behind. Of course. And she sees him turn and walk into the bedroom, and um, she knows at that time, like, she called out to him, um, and I heard her actually call out to him, and, like, she knew full well at the time that it couldn't have been him because he wasn't there. So she walks down the hallway, turns into the bedroom, and there is nobody there, and no way anyone could have gotten out. <laughs> so... Now, you and me, Art, would probably leap to some paranormal explanation, um, but my sister doesn't come from our, our world that we come from. Right. Uh, she didn't graduate from the Art Bell uh, Paranormal Community <laughs> College, and so she puts it down to sleep deprivation of a new mother. So we go down, well, she came downstairs to me and my mum with a puzzled look on her face, and I asked her why she called out to Marcus, and she proceeds to tell 
my mother and I what she just saw and uh, my mother's face went white as a ghost uh, pardon the pun um, my sister then asks her what's wrong and my mum proceeds to tell us that she never told anyone this because she didn't want to seem like she was crazy um, but one day she was putting linen away in the closet and she caught something out of the side of her eyes and long story short she sees exactly the same thing that my sister did um, and followed, called out to him followed him and nobody was there so uh, I didn't witness this, but my mum's expression and the colour draining from her face when my sister relayed the story was just all the proof that I basically need. Now, is that a ghost? Is okay, so, so we've got two people, Jazz, processing it in very different ways, obviously, according to their own worldview. I guess that's what we do as humans, right? Oh, definitely. And this was like 10 years apart between uh, my sister seeing it and my mother seeing it. And like, I, I, like, I don't know what it is. Is it a loop? Um, is it something that's being replayed over and over? Because my brother's not dead. Um, he was suffering a deep depression and he spent a lot of time in that room. And we always assume that hauntings are the result of like when a death is you know, very sudden, or it's violent, or, you yes. know, there's some kind of unrequited love or something like that. And, um, you know, depression's a deep, strong emotion. Oh, yes. Um, was that something that was lingering, that, that emotion is lingering, causing that? Or he actually clinically died in his, in his room while they were reviving him, was perhaps a part of his soul, um, if you believe in that, oh, I do. Uh, left behind. I, I do, Jazz, I do. Thank you so much. No problem. Have a good night. So, uh, yeah, Barb. Um, That's a doppelganger. Is that what it is? Yes. They they saw the ghost of someone who's alive. Yeah. Um, and, and, and projected. Uh, that, Barb, that kind of depression that he described uh, combined with, um, you know, a near-death experience or a death experience, depending on how you want to look at it, I guess, uh, could project some pretty strong stuff, right? Well, yes. That could be residual, a residual uh, experience uh, that from just the emotion that this young man was going through at that time in his life burned something in that room, that atmosphere. Gotcha. All right, Barb, uh, two questions for you. One I've been waiting to ask, and that is, have you, in the years you've been doing this, gleaned anything at all about the nature of the other side? I think uh, the nature of the other side depends a lot on that individual's mental state. I think, uh, I, I, in fact, I kind of worry about the generation coming up. Don't we all? <laughs> yeah, uh, on on uh, their on. Uh, how the ghost will be in the future, <laughs> you know. I mean, there is so much turmoil. Well, we are the future ghosts, and then, uh, then, or as as they will then be. Um, one other question, and that is about suicides, Barbara. Um, mm -hmm. Have you discerned anything at all about suicides versus natural or even unnatural deaths? Um. I've known some people that have committed suicide, and their families have all experienced um, activity. They're, they're, I don't believe their soul and their spirit is at peace.
peace after they've died. I think they're, they're still in turmoil. Wow. I think the mental state of the person continues. Okay. All right. Let's do number 15. All right. This was uh, at an old western military fort uh, that was established back in the 1800s, and it's still in use today. Uh, Barry was in the museum, and uh, which used to be uh, one of the barracks, and he recorded this child's voice. Uh, it says it's dark in here. Yeah. Um, it was not dark um, in that room at the time. There were still lights on. Gotcha. Um, but when, when, we, when we went back to that location and we were talking to the curator of the museum and and uh, told him about this child's voice, uh, he informed us that he had just learned a few weeks prior that women and children were kept in the basement of the barracks for their own safety. The women, the wives of soldiers, were referred to as laundresses. Wow. And uh, to keep them uh, safe, uh, they lived in the basements of these barracks. Because we were surprised to get a child's voice there on this military base, you know. I can imagine, of course, yes. Um, here we go. Wow. I'm going to have to replay that for you, I think. Um, it was quite clear and quite fast, so let me do it again. Oh, that is a little child's voice. There's no question about it. One more time, please. Yeah, that's um, awful. <laughs> uh, you know, obviously, it's dark then in a different realm altogether, yeah. the other yeah. side. And I, I don't want to think of the other side as dark. <laughs> Maybe this poor child made a wrong turn, a.k.a. John Lear. Um, I don't know. The curator was quite surprised that we had recorded a child's voice, and he he was uh, quite fascinated that we had. Yes. Um, yes. All right. One more. One more. And uh, it's number 16, and it's pretty... This has been heard before. Yes. But this is the creepiest, oh, the creepy, oh, the creepy. It really is. <laughs> Tell us about it. Uh, this is in a cemetery. And it's one of our favorite places to go. We get great EVP out of this cemetery. And we were discussing some ghost pictures that had been developed, and we were looking at them and talking about them. And we recorded this uh, voice. I think that she came to self-realization of her situation, and she says, I'm completely dead. The moment of realization, huh? Okay, here we go. Um, okay, so we don't have that one uh, repeated unless I repeat it, and I shall indeed repeat it. Okay, what's being said is I'm completely dead, and there's absolutely no mistake about it. One more time. Uh, that That's so weird. I mean... It must not have been, it might not have been the instant of recognition that, that that person was dead, but it had not been a long time since that person 
found out they were dead. That would be my conclusion. Would you agree? I uh, very very possible. That cemetery is so active. In fact, one night I've got to tell you a little ghost story. Okay, we we don't have the time. It'll have to be on the other side. Okay. Other side of the other side. You know, break the other side. This is dead air in progress. America, you found an oasis for the mind. To call Midnight in the Desert, please dial 1-952-CALL-ART. That's 1-952-225-5278. This one's getting to me. I've got the uh, lights turned down in here. And uh, this is just some pretty freaky stuff, what can I say? And we've got another full hour of it coming up. You're listening to Barbara Macbeth who's kind of here on and off in between the ghost stories with her own EVPs, the best probably EVPs ever played on the air. Many of these, most of these, actually never heard uh, ever before on the air. And uh, very disturbing EVPs at that. Uh, Back to to Barbara, you said you had a bit of a story, Barb. This is quick, and it's kind of comical. Sure. Uh, In that cemetery... um, we would always get uh, cold drinks in a paper cup at a place and maybe french fries and a hamburger to eat before we'd start our investigation at the cemetery. And Roger had finished his drink, and we were walking down the road, and he tossed his empty cup into a garbage can that was chained to a tree. And the cup came flying back up, and arch, and he he could have really almost caught it if he would have tried. <laughs> it went into the garbage can and came flying back out. <laughs> oh God! Um, I take it that that kind of activity was not frequent, because uh, you just couldn't keep doing this if it was. Uh, we we had quite a bit of activity really? that we witnessed. Yes. Uh, well, then you guys had iron spines. That's what I can say. All right. Um, let's uh, do one more, and then we'll take a ghost story. So um, number 17. Yeah, 17. Yeah. This is a, uh old building um, where a new age business uh, is now residing. Originally, this building, uh, which a lot of the buildings in our town uh, had brothels upstairs, uh, the main uh, buildings. Must have been a long time ago. Yes, back in, this is a railroad town. Uh Uh-huh. And um, so Barry recorded this voice. He was upstairs, but they called the cribs where the uh, girls would work, little small rooms. And uh, he was winding up and getting. we were getting ready to leave. 
and we have the impression that this female ghost kind of liked him. She's you hear this voice. She says, "Gonna miss you," and I mean it. <laughs> so I guess uh, let me just play it. I guess there's humor on the other side. Okay, uh, that's only a single play, so I'm going to have to do it again. So you're listening to this. Well, it's a young lady, all right. I'm going to miss you, and I mean it. Can everybody hear that? I'll do it one last time. Uh, it was from a brothel, and I guess uh, I guess he made an attachment, so to speak. Here we go. That's funny. It's probably her routine line that she'd give when they'd leave. Maybe, maybe. But uh, once you're on the other side, I, I guess you don't get to utter too much that people hear. And that's kind of a key. I mean, you're there with uh, electromagnetic pickups and hearing things that other people don't hear. So it makes you wonder how often does an entity, a ghost, try and communicate unsuccessfully? Probably most of the time. Probably most of the time. So the connection from their world to our world is, well, at best, very tenuous. Um, all right, hold tight, Barb. Let's go to Skype and see if Daniel's got a good one for us. Hi, Daniel. Hey, Art. Hey. Hey, oh, I'm so glad to be on because you have combined two of my favorite shows, the EVPs and the ghost stories. That's gotcha. Awesome. Yeah, I know. It's pretty cool. So my ghost story starts in 2006. I went to a, a really small... A private college in North Georgia and the ghost legends around there are really sort of famous among the students mm -hmm. but uh, the one that I always heard because I was a theater kid is uh, in our little black box theater was the spirit of Jesse who was very big into the theater always played an older role if they needed him and uh, was supposedly a janitor who died in a car crash right. and I experienced little things with Jesse but he really got me one night when it was my first date with the woman who would become my wife, oh, we set up a little a little uh, TV to watch a movie, and I dragged a couch in, and I was one of like three people who had a key to this place after hours. Mm -hmm. So we watched our movie, and the thing you have to understand about this black box is, in the middle, it's a wide open space for two floors. So when you're in the, th the middle of it, you can see not only the hallway around you, Mm -hmm. But you can see the hallway up above you with perfect <laughs> clarity. So we're sitting there talking on the couch. Movie's over. It's dark except for one single light on, ironically called the ghost light. And we're okay. sitting there, and all of a sudden we hear footsteps up above us. And so we look at each other, and we're really freaked out. And we sit there, and Art, I kid you not, up above us, we hear these footsteps go running from one side to the other side. Mm -hmm. And they sound like boot steps. Very, very loud. Obviously someone there. And Art, we can see it. We can look up there and see every bit of that, and no one is there. Nobody is there. So as no. the footsteps go, there's nobody there. Yeah. Uh -huh. So they do this, and we, we sort of pass it off at first when we go back to talking. So then it happens two, three more times until, I kid you not, we, we're done. Mm -hmm. We are so for, We're in two college kids in the middle of a dark theater. And we say, we're out of here. Screw this. I mean, we're, we're out. I'd have been out <laughs> the first time. Maybe maybe the second time. First time, I guess you could put it off. 
to something, yeah. but uh, when there are footsteps going right past you that you should be seeing, something attached to them, uh, and you don't, twice would be not nice. Oh, and it's it's not just footsteps. Man. They are running. They are heavy boots, and they it. are booking yeah. it from one end to the other. I got you. And the real punchline to it is that this is maybe January. I graduated months later. So right before I graduate, I talked to the head of the theater department. We're sitting in her office just chatting, and I happened to bring up Jesse because I never truly believed the legend behind him. Mm-hmm. I'd experienced him. I knew he was there. I totally felt that. But I didn't believe in the legend. And she goes, oh, no, no, no. She said, he wasn't a janitor. And I said, excuse me? I'm floored. She said, oh, I knew Jesse. He wasn't a janitor. He was a cook. He loved the theater. He absolutely adored it. And she goes, actually, and she reaches around and she grabs a picture. And she hands me the picture. And there was Jesse. And she absolutely confirmed that not only was Jesse a real man, not only did he love that theater, but that she believed that he was there, too. I mean, it, it sent chills down me. <laughs> All right. Thank you so very, very much for the uh, uh, the call. And let's go to Santa Rosa, I think, California, on the phone. You're on the air. Hi. My name's Kathy. Hi, Kathy. Uh, this took place in Marin. Um, I occasionally am called to help people if they have a disruptive spirit or weird energy in their house. and. Some people down there had built an add-on to their home in Marin. They added a guest room on the back, and every time somebody stayed in it, they always wound up on the couch in the morning saying that it was freezing in there, that they were, they didn't feel good, it was too cold, there was something wrong with their air conditioning, and sometimes it looked cloudy in there. So they would always wind up kind of afraid sleeping on the couch. And They didn't deal with it too much because they didn't use it to sleep in themselves, but then one day they decided they were redoing their house and they were varnished a mantle over the fireplace and when they woke up in the morning there was a little child's footprints in the varnish going across the top of the mantle and they didn't have any kids so they got a little freaked out about that and they decided they were going to they knew someone who knew me and they just said would you just come over and take a look at this what's going on in our house kind of an energy feng shui i suppose sure and i went there with a couple of friends and i have some abilities to do this so we <laughs> we walked into the room we opened the door and it <laughs> It was like walking into a refrigerator. Uh, it was really, really cold. I mean, they said it's never been this bad. And uh, we could see kind of a, a hazy, almost just a lightly milky cloud right in the middle of the room. And it happened to be just right where the bed was. Mm. And I went and I said, well, let's just stop for a moment and take a breath. And I, I said, hello, who are you? Is there someone there? Yes. Who are you? And... um I, it moved toward me, and I, no one else could hear this, but I heard it right next to my ear. It said, Mother. I'm hey. looking for my mother. Oh. I I kind of got a little, well, okay, this is intense. So I said, what happened to you? And I saw a picture of a swimming pool. And they also had mentioned to me that occasionally they found piles of uh, little bits of water in the, in the floor. Really? In that room. And there was actually some dampness on the floor when we were there. So we actually walked out of the room because it was really intense and we were having a little bit of a hard time with it you actually I, saw water on the floor little water there was little little you know damp piles of water just wow. like three or four of them leading out the door i so know where this is going i'm afraid well, they had actually had the plumber come and check they had the air conditioning check they thought there was something wrong with the house right so i sat down and um i asked them have you ever had a swimming pool in the backyard and they said no there's never been a pool there and i said are you sure they said, well, let's, we can call our next-door neighbor. They had someone who lived there for 50 years. They gave her a call while I was there, and she said, 
Well, yeah, some 10 years ago there was a swimming pool there, and they, the people who lived there, their three-year-old daughter had drowned in the pool. Oh, my God, I knew it, yeah. And what has happened is that the father was, he blamed the mother, and he was so livid, he literally showed up with bulldozers, I guess, and bulldozed the pool and filled it with earth. And um, they out. And two years later, the mother evidently, who had never gotten over it, died in a car accident. It was a single car accident. There was some speculation that she had killed herself. And the little girl was, um, so as I talked, they told me this, I said to the little girl spiritually, just telepathically, can I help you? And she said again, I, I will need to find my mother. And um, I did a few things that I know how to do in terms of assisting spirits to move on and reconnected her to let her know she didn't have to stay there. And I did manage to reconnect her with her mother and help them both move on. That poor and, little girl. Do you have any, I mean, we hear, you know, with these EVPs, we hear so many children um, do you have any clue? I, you know, I'm going to go back and ask Barbara again, but I mean, we think, we adults, we, we somehow think that if a child like that drowns in a pool, they're not going to some ne- nether region where there is nothing or darkness or cold or whatever. Uh, they're going directly to heaven without passing go, but it doesn't seem that way. Um, where is, yeah, was know. that child, where was that child trapped? She was trapped in the anger between her parents. They didn't let go of her, and she was really she was actually trying to heal her mother. One of the reasons she didn't leave was because she was really in pain about the fact that her mother literally disappeared spiritually. She just went kind of in such deep depression, and the entire family was destroyed. And on some level, the little girl was still trying to find them and, and heal it so she could move on and finish the cycle with them. And uh, it was a very, very painful thing. We were all very sad when we got done, but uplifted because we actually were able to assist them. And well, that's a, and that's a whale of a story. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Take care. Um, you know, it's hard. This thing with kids is really hard for me. Uh, the adults, well, you can imagine all kinds of long lives lived, right? Um in, in error or sin or however you want to look at it and they're being trapped but not children. So there must be many things that we truly do not understand about we, you know, what we call the other side. Uh, here once again is Barbara Macbeth. Hi Barbara. Boy, that was some Hi. story, huh? Yes, it was. She actually yeah. got into a dialogue with a little, little three-year-old. My goodness. And, uh, hopefully, the people that live in that house have never experienced her again. She has moved on, hopefully. It'd be interesting to know. You know, when I asked you about the, something about, you know, tell us something about the other side, you really can't. I, I do understand that. But do you believe, you do believe, right, that this is some sort of, I don't know, middle area um, before you go on to wherever your final destination, I'm, I'm not trying to spit out movie titles here, is? Well, you're getting into theology. Yeah, um, a bit, a bit. Uh, you know, I I just believe that we continue on. I believe that it's a learning process, that this is just one of the, one of the lessons, life's lessons here, okay. and we continue on. Number 18. All right, you're going to hear uh, 
Brendan and Barry, we were investigating a mortuary, and uh, Barry recorded this. And you'll hear Barry say to Brendan, I hope there's no bodies down there. Mm-hmm. Um, and this voice tells him to talk to the dead. Talk to the dead. And there was several bodies down there. We we didn't know it. Uh, there was a couple of us that went down in the in the basement, and there was probably about nine bodies on slabs in yeah. this room. On slabs? Yeah. All right, here you go. Okay, that was very fast. Let me try and do it again here. Uh, many of these earlier at earlier times were repeated. Uh, let me try it again. Okay, that's a little hard for me to hear, so I'm going to do it one more time and see if I can hear it. Yep, talk to the dead. That's what it is. Talk to the dead. That time I got it clearly. These old ears are trying. All right, uh, so yes, there it was. Talk to the dead. And now I'm, you know, in view of the discussion we just had, let's push on to number 19. All right, this was recorded in a cemetery, and I think we've played this one on uh, your show before, but you're going to hear wind blowing and a baby crying throughout the whole time. It was uh, after midnight, and there was absolutely no children around, and the EVP is not looped. This whole crying episode is just what was recorded. Okay. see it doesn't seem my god that was awful I I mean how could a infant a baby be caught on the other side that's uh, that's awful yes and some people think they hear it laughing Um, really how you hear it really laughing Uh, you know that would be nicer let me (laughs) let me try again hold on Barbara, um, it's the power. It's either the power of suggestion, or I'm not really sure. But it does indeed. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Sound like laughing. So <laughs> it was written. You know, it, it, it helps me a lot. You'll never know. Uh, it says baby crying, and I thought, oh God, baby crying, not good. And and when you made that suggestion. Maybe it's just the power of the mind. Yeah, who knows? I honestly don't know, but, uh, yeah, amazing stuff. All right, let's go to Skype briefly and say hello to Brian. Hey, hey how's it going? Uh, well, it's a pretty wild night, Brian, as you can hear. Oh, yeah, definitely. Okay, so are you going to, first of all, turn off your device, please. Is that better? 
Yeah, news be off. And uh, if you have a ghost story for us, proceed. All right, this actually has to do with a uh, listener that calls into you a few times, uh, Jack W. Uh, he's a good good friend of mine. He took me into a cemetery near us, and uh, we decided to take a mirror in there one time. And it was uh, not a good thing, we found out, because it actually got extremely hot in my hands. The mirror uh, did? Uh, yes, it did. Uh, and then uh, pretty much every time after that, I've been in that cemetery two or three more times. And every time I've been in there, I've had a really difficult time breathing every time. Breathing? Yeah. Well, there are weird things in the paranormal world with mirrors, scrying and such. It's uh, mirror, Mirrors are strange in a way, huh? Yes, they are. I appreciate your story. It was short and quick, uh, the way to do it. Thank you very much. So, what do you all think about that? Uh, I'm, I'm kind of glad that uh, he brought it up. Uh, Barbara, mirrors, um, are you aware of anything with regard to mirrors that is strange, unusual, paranormal? Yes. yes. Mirrors, to me, are weird. There's a, a lot of, uh, well, there's some cultures... I don't know if they still do it, but I know they used to do it when a person would die. Yes. They'd put mirrors up because the dead supposedly does not like seeing themselves. Huh. You think the dead can even can see themselves? I don't know. I, I don't know. I just know that that, that has been a, a procedure of certain cultures in the past. I see. Um Brendan experienced seeing uh, that child in the mortician's house. It looked like uh, his neck was broke. It wasn't fitting right. Brendan saw his reflection in the mirror. Gosh, no thanks. That's horrible. (laughs) All right, Barb. Hold on. I'm going to uh, put you on hold and... Venture forth. Uh, we've been getting quite the night tonight. Lake Charles, Louisiana, I do believe. Hello. Art, thank you for replaying the baby because I'm sitting here and I had chill bumps. Um, do you kind of agree? I mean, when you first hear it, you go, oh, God, a baby. But then when you listen closely, she's right. Better. I think it's laughing. It got better. I want to think it was laughing. Okay. This is Michael. So I've lived in Lake Charles, born and raised here, uh, but in 2004, I moved to Alaska to be a youth pastor for a church. Huh? I was li- I was living in Seward, and had was invited to come and speak at a church in Fairbanks. Mm-hmm. It's about a nine hour drive from the south. Not used to. I was got there in January. This was in February. I uh, took out on this trip by myself and uh, had been given tips and. This is where you want to stop. This is where you don't want to stop. Gas is real expensive here, things like that. So I got out of just north of Anchorage, north of Wasilla, and uh, up in that part of the country I had been, the people that I had been with had stopped and picked up hitchhikers, and they just said it's just kind of a a thing. You don't really do it in Louisiana, but here it's life and death. If you see somebody on the road, they're probably not going to. So I saw a man walking north on the road and I pulled over mm-hmm. he got in the truck and I remember distinctly he had a kind of a, a little bit of a body 
smelled like a campfire. Uh, his He was unshaven. His name, he told me, was Alex. He spoke with a Russian accent, and he said he was a mountain climber. And he was, uh, he said his favorite place on earth was the top of Mount Everest, and that he was in Alaska to climb Mount McKinley. So he was on his way to Denali Park. He rode with me in the car for about two and a half hours, asking me about why I was there, about my calling that I felt on my life and feel on my life, discussed those types of things with me, gave me tips about driving in the ice and told me not to do things that would have caused error. Right. And we came to we came to a, a town called Trapper Creek. I don't know if you're familiar. Uh, and I was not going to get gas there. It was one of the places I was told they will the, the prices will kill you there. <laughs> and uh, he said, you'll want to stop here because the weather is too bad. Denali is the part where I was planning to stop. They're going to be closed. And so I said, okay. And he'd been in the car for two and a half hours. We talked extensively about Everest and his plan to to see the top of Mount McKinley. Well, we stopped. I got out, started fueling the car. He grabbed his small backpack that he had, walked into, I saw him walk into the gas station, a little junction station, uh, had a little cafe in it. He walked through the doors. When I finished filling up, I went in to use the restroom and pay and grab a bite. And I, uh, I asked the clerk, I said, where's the man that just walked in? And she looked at me and said, you're the only one who's been here for hours. Mm-hmm. And I said, no, a man just walked through these doors. Uh, we spent 20 minutes walking around the back of the building. We followed the tracks back to the two sets of tracks back to the truck. He was nowhere to be found. There was icy wetness where he had been sitting in the truck. Really? The truck still, the truck still smelled like him. So at that point, I have I've chalked it up to, you know, was it a ghost? Was it an angel? I don't know what it. I wouldn't have had enough gas when I got to Denali. That gas station was indeed closed. Well, here's what I'll say. Uh, it may be that living on the other side, as he may have been doing, he uh, could spend time on Everest because I can assure you the average human being can't breathe at the top of Everest. Not for long. There are a few who claim they've tried. Uh, but the fact of the matter is, there is not enough oxygen up there to support a human being. And frequently, the stay on Everest is, is not somewhere... Put it this way. there's It's not a place you lollygag around at all. You get there, and then you get down, if you can, as fast as you can. Okay, uh, let's go back to uh, to Barb, and uh, we've got the next one coming up that just is awful. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it may have been heard on the air before. So many of these have not been, but uh, this is uh, number 20 we're talking about here. Right. Uh, we were in a mausoleum, and Roger recorded this voice. Um, you don't hear Roger, but it's just the EVP that is on this one, and I don't think that this one's looped either. Okay. But um, you, Roger had said, uh, talking about our our 
our video camera infrared lights. He had apologized to any ghosts there, saying that our lights would not hurt them. Mm -hmm. And he recorded this voice saying, our death gate. And you can hear this voice kind of echoey. You know, it was, it's all marble walls and floors and ceilings. Okay. All right. Our death gate. Uh, not one I like. And uh, hold on. We're going to get to it here. Uh, I'm going to have to play this, I think, several times for you. Death gate. That, w that would mean where you go to die. <laughs> so that one is um, sort of whispered, I would say. Listen carefully. Yep, that's a whisper. That's definitely a whisper. I wonder why, uh, one more time, I wonder why somebody on the other side would feel it necessary to whisper. Very quickly, Barb, any thoughts on that? Why Why would they whisper? I don't know. I think it takes a lot of their energy to even uh, be able to be heard on a recorder. I think I don't think that that's something that comes easy to them. Well, if that were true, you'd think they'd almost have to shout. Um, but that that whisper got through quite effectively. I, I just, you know, it just seems strange to me. Not many of the ones that you've recorded are whispers, but I know some are. Okay. All right. All right, Barb, uh, hold tight. We're coming to the uh, bottom of the hour. Everybody can take a little deep breath. This has really been quite a night. One of the best we've ever done. I call it dead air. Stay right there. To call the show, please dial 1-952-225-5278. That's 1-952-CALL-ART. Top of the morning, probably, for the majority of you out there. Dead air underway for the, well, now only minutes away from Halloween. And in many, many locations listening to me right now, it is Halloween. Uh, let's quickly go to Robert on Skype and say hi. Hi, Art. Roswell. Thank you. Back just away a little bit. You're loud. Oh, sorry. How's this? Better. Okay, cool. Anyways, um, uh, me and my cousin, you, we usually go to these... Uh, uh, Robert, again. Uh, Robert, uh, you and I have to have a talk. Um, this call isn't going to work. I, you've called me about six times now, still not having fixed whatever it is going on. I'm so sorry with your audio, but you're going to have to work on that. Uh, here's what I recommend. There is a, a Skype echo server, Robert, 
and you can call it and talk to it, and it will play back your audio, and then you'll hear what your audio is doing. I'm terribly sorry we can't get you on. I, I really, truly am. But uh, uh, you've tried that about a half dozen times now with the same setup, and it's just not going to do the job. So try the Skype, Skype Echo. It will work for you. It's pretty cool anyway. Um, so let's try this one on Skype. Hello. Hello. Hi. Do you have a ghost story for us? Am I on the air? <laughs> you are. Okay, great. Boy, do I have a good one for you. Go ahead. Alrighty. Um, just a little bit of background. I am a musician, and uh, one of my friends uh, is also a musician, and he was playing for a wedding um, not too far from where I live. So what ended up happening was, you know, he finished the wedding. He finished the... You know, the gig and uh, a couple of the people there invited him to have a drink. So he said, okay, well, let me just have a short beer, but I have to get back home because I have my wife and kids waiting for me. So, you know, time passed by and he uh, ended up leaving like at 2 o'clock in the morning. So he checked his phone and his wife had called him like 20 times. <laughs> yes. So you knew he was in trouble. <laughs> so... What ended up happening was this guy uh, got into his car, and he was going 90 miles per hour on a 60-mile-per-hour road. Oh, my. And he said, you know what? Well, it's like 2 o'clock in the morning. You know, there's no cops around. So let me just go ahead and just, you know, Open her go up. real quick and, uh, you know, try to get back home because my wife is going to, like, lay the hammer on me. So mm -hmm. What ended up happening was all of a sudden he saw uh, a couple of signal lights from a cop. So he was all like, oh, man, you know, like I'm going to get home late and I'm going 90 miles per hour on the 60 mile per hour road. Might not get home at all in that situation. <laughs> yeah, okay. Yeah, so what ended up happening was uh, the cop ended up shining like this big bright light like they always do. Yeah. But he said that for some reason when he the cop asked him to put on the window, he felt a cold shiver. So what ended up happening was the cop, uh, you know, told him, hey, why were you going so fast? He said, well, I just got out of a gig and I'm supposed to be home at 10 o'clock, but it's 2 o'clock in the morning and I want to get back to my house. Right. So the cop ended up telling him, you know what, well, you were going 90 on the 60, so... I'm going to have to give you a ticket. I mean, there's no other way you could have killed someone. Right. So he's all like, okay, just go ahead and give me the ticket, you know, like, I, I just want to get home. So, you know, he ended up writing him the ticket and everything, and he said, you know what, just be very careful out here because there's, a, like, there might be, like, a, a whole bunch of killers out on the road or whatever. So killers? just drive safe and lock your doors. Uh huh. So he ended up going, you know, back home. The next day, he said, you know what, I'm going to go ahead and pay the ticket. So he went down to the, uh, you know, to go pay the ticket. And uh, the lady up front said, well, wh what are you here for? Well, I'm going to pay a ticket because I was going this much over right. the speed limit. So she checked the ticket and she said, okay, well, let me go ahead and just verify something real quick. So for some reason, he said that they're taking a long time. And he said, is everything okay? And they're, they're like, yeah, yeah. But we're wondering, who gave you this ticket? So he said, well, there was this cop last night that gave me a ticket. Right. And, uh, you know, it was like 3 o'clock in the morning or 2 o'clock. 
Yes. So she's so she's like, okay. Well, you, you, well, she got really upset and she said, sir, are you joking with me? Because you could get arrested for giving a fake ticket. So he's like, no, no, actually, I mean, a cop actually wrote a ticket out for me for let, going let 30 me, miles over. Let me guess. That's a cop that had died, perhaps even on that road. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the cop had been dead since 1972. Uh, reason for him coming out in that road is because one time he pulled over a guy that was a, had just committed murder. Oh. And he was trying to escape, so oh. the cop told him to come out of his car. And uh, as soon as he like, you know, he kind of, he kind of got a little bit uh, comfortable. Turn around, that guy ended up stabbing him to death. Oh so, my god! Yeah, and he so got a that, ticket that, from that, a cop that had been dead wow. since 1972. Not only that, but that cop's out there patrolling the same road again and again. Oh God! And he wrote out a ticket, and they had the proof of it. I, I, <laughs> uh, Barb, uh, did you hear that one? Yes, sir. <laughs> I guess uh, it's all around us, life and death. Um, let's let's quickly do number twenty-one. All right. Um, you remember the stock exchange building uh, where the drowning episode took place? This was from the the second time we had visited and <laughs> investigated this building. Right. Uh, you are going to uh, hear, I think it's Brendan. He says, okay, this is our second recording from the building. We are now getting ready to leave. And uh, an EVP is recorded here, and it says, it's dead. Oh, it's dead, Okay. Okay, this is our second recording from We Are Now Getting Ready to Leave. Yikes. Um, do you think, well, the other recording you mentioned was, that was where the, the drowning was? Yes. Oh, my. That's the same building. So maybe it was referring to that situation, I wonder. I don't know. I don't know. But that's the building where that uh, All right. uh, other one. We're woefully short on time here, and I'm just committed to trying to get these in. Those never heard uh, ever on the radio. So uh, number 22. All right. You're going to hear me um, talking about another EVP in this. You're going to hear me talking about uh, how the quality was, and, I, and I'm saying you can tell he's real quiet and draggy, and it sounds like it hurts him to talk. Mm-hmm. And um, this EVP was recorded, and it says, we can talk. We can talk. Okay, here we go. Now you can tell he's real draggy and quiet and try to hurt him to talk. That's unnervingly clear. Uh, yes, that was recorded in the house that we uh, rented for several years. It was quite active. Oh, how, I guess for you, lucky. 
I thought so, but my husband Roger didn't. <laughs> I, I would imagine not. Um, I'm, I'm with Roger all the way. One more time. Um, that was freaky. Yeah, I don't know about that. Um, Obviously, they can talk. Uh, It's a rarity, I suppose, but apparently they can. All right, uh, hold tight, Barbara, for just a second. Let's, uh, let me see, um, like a one-armed paper hanger here. Let's go to, uh, hmm, how about this one? You're on the air. Hello. Hi, good evening, Art. This is Millie. Hi, Millie. How are you? I'm doing good. Uh, love the show tonight. And I want to give a quick shout-out to the Art Bell Time Travelers on Facebook. And we have a quick question, and I will get to my story real quick. Okay, question? Um, at the beginning of the show... Before the first DVP came out, there was a spliced voice that came in while the two of you were talking, and we don't think you heard it. We all heard it. Did I, you hear it? No. It, you're going to have to go back and listen to it. It was like right around the beginning, uh, the okay. first couple of EVPs. I think it was right before the first one. All right. Well, I can listen. We I, can, I can go into my, like you, were, you know, I'm a time traveler, believe me, so I will go and I will listen, I promise. All right. We thought you were haunted. Okay. Now, back in California, uh, we lived in a haunted apartment. Uh, A man had killed his girlfriend in there, and we knew it was haunted. You know, weird things happened in it. And we had these two friends that had been together forever. We took them over to our ex-brother-in-law's house for a barbecue. Well, she kind of got a hankering towards him. (laughs) And, you know, we didn't say anything uh, to the man. His name is Ron. And he was over drinking one day with us. And we had this table that my husband made by hand. It was a very strong table. You could jump up and down on it, and it wouldn't move. Uh, And he was talking about his girlfriend, and we kind of lied about it. And every time we would lie, one of the legs started bending out. Oh, my. I noticed it. My husband noticed it, and we tried to change the subject. You know, it hadn't fallen over yet, but it took about a half an hour. And within that half an hour, that leg bent out to the point where the table actually fell over. Oh, my. And my husband picked it up. Now, it had, the leg was from another table. It had a screw in the center of the leg, and it was attached to a table bracket. The bracket had a lip on the inside, so, and so the leg kind of slanted out, which mm. made them really strong. Yes. Do you, do you know what I'm talking about? Yes, but There's how no it would bend, uh, no, 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 I don't know about that at all. And the, the screw was not bent. He put it back in, and it was fine. That table lasted for years, and it never did it again. But the more we lied about him, about where she was, <laughs> the more that thing bent until the leg, until the table fell over. Usually it's a nose growing, not a table bowing. <laughs> I think I think the lady that died in there was telling us, don't do it. <laughs> At least I had a laugh tonight. Uh, thank you so very, very much for that story. My goodness, folks. All right, uh, let's go back over here and say, Barbara, you're back on the air again. <laughs> that was quite a story, wasn't it? 
That's great. <laughs> okay, we're way short on time. I'm determined to get to the last two, so let's do it. Uh, number 23. All right. Uh, we were at a uh, bed and breakfast uh, place. It's a big mansion that they've turned into a bed and breakfast in Salt Lake. Right. And uh, the woman that was on staff that night, she was showing us around, and she said uh, there was this little table by the uh, office that she sat in, and she's, she's looking at this book that had pictures of the original homeowners of this mansion. Right. And she said, you're going to hear her say, this is, yeah, this was the main guy. It's Dr. Edward Wood, Edward Woodruff and his wife. And then this EVP says, very feisty. <laughs> very feisty, really. Well, that's a new one. This was, yeah, this was the main guy, Dr. Edward Woodruff. Why The unusual things that come from the other side. It's just, uh, what a comment. Very feisty. That, that's <laughs> and it makes you wonder, did he know the Dr. Ed Woodruff's would, would wife? <laughs> yeah, well, you're, that's right. <laughs> that's right. Okay, last one. Last one, Barb. All right, this is a Utah Cemetery. And it was uh, the cemetery that we've gotten so many great EVPs from. This voice, we recorded him many times in the first couple of years that we would go there. Really? Uh, Or there were several of them that had the same voice. But anyway, you're going to hear, uh, we were discussing a a voice that was previously recorded uh, and that said, a company when a military headstone was being read aloud. Oh. And Roger was relating this and erroneously said, uh, Company A, r- real proud. You'll hear Roger say that. And uh, I recorded this voice repeating him, Company A. <laughs> so, okay, here we go. Company A. Wow. Um,. Wow, that's a real wow. So, and also very clear. So, this is a military man, very, very proud of Company A. One more time. Company A. Company A. <laughs> From the other side, that that's actually one of the best ones I've ever heard. And you can hear in this military man's voice that he's very, very proud of the fact that he's Company A. One last time. <laughs> I would say that was uh, that was uttered in a in a in a proud uh, military manner. I would agree. Well, Barb, um, it has been unusually amazing tonight. A mixture that we've done, and I don't know how to thank you for doing this. I know it took a very great deal of prep on the part of my uh, producer and working with you, and uh, and then to be able to mix it with some of the greatest stories we've ever had on a show of this sort. Great stories tonight. Yeah, yeah, absolutely great stories. So I want to thank you and all of the GIS, but 
especially Barbara, who stuck it out with us on uh, what's about to become Halloween. Thank you, dear lady. Thank you very much, Art. Always a pleasure. Good night. That's Barbara. She's really something. Really, really something. Thank you all. I wish we, you know, the lines are stacked. I wish we could get you all in. But this is now only a three-hour show. So we have to stop when we have to stop. I hope uh, all the little ones enjoy their candy gathering for tomorrow. And uh, be it safe, please. From the high desert to all 25 time zones out there. Dead air says good night.